WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint, where power and politics collide and the tough questions get asked and answered. Good Sunday morning. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. Well, it looks like the 2020 convention cycle is now over. The Republican National Convention finished the, this week just a few days ago. It started, of course, on Monday. It was here. What was supposed to be tens of thousands of people ended up being maybe a, a, a few hundred delegates. President Trump even made a surprise appearance talking to the guests for about an hour. Coming up a little bit later on the show, we're going to have a behind the scenes look at uh, his trip and his motorcade here in Charlotte. But then after that, it was back to Washington where much of the, the convention was held. All capped off Thursday night with the president, you see right there, accepting the renomination for president on the lawn of the White House with a crowd of about 1,500 people. He spoke for more than an hour. So tonight I say to all Americans, this is the most important election in the history of our country. There has never been such a difference between two parties or two individuals in ideology philosophy or vision than there is right now. All right, joining us now for the first part of the show, State Representative Chaz Beasley and the former vice chair of the North Carolina GOP, Wayne King. Wayne King happened to be at the big event Thursday night in D.C. Then also he was here, of course, in Monday. So Wayne, we'll begin with you. Uh, certainly not what you were expecting when you thought about, hey, my city, my area gets to have the Republican National Convention this year. Uh, but as a delegate, as a big fan of the president, what was it like? Well, I hate that we couldn't gather in Charlotte, and I hate that Governor Cooper shut us down when we, we couldn't gather there in a traditional setting. I obviously remember the DNC when um, we were there uh, on the Republican response team there in Charlotte. It was a great city to host a convention, so I'm sorry that uh, we couldn't be there. But last night was amazing. It was, it was a great event. It was, uh, you know, uh, the president did a great job. Obviously, a great setting of the White House and uh, laid out an agenda for the second term. All right, Chaz, let me bring you in here. You, you watched the convention, I'm sure, or maybe at least parts of it. Um, uh, your thoughts having watched uh, the Republican National Convention, of course, the Democrats the week before. Well, I think, number one, uh, I think we saw the very distinct difference between the two visions for the country. And the difference is that the Democrats have a vision for what the country should be and the Republicans have a vision for what the, for the country should not be. And also, I think it's really concerning that you have a president that's talking about law and order who literally has people within his administration who have been arrested, convicted of federal crimes and is committing a federal crime, having the convention uh, at state property on the White House grounds. I mean, these are things that would never have flown when President Obama was in office. These are things that wouldn't have flown when Bush was in office, quite frankly. So I think that it's really sad that we have a lot of people that are unwilling to call out wrong when they see it and that they're, again, letting President Trump do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it and say whatever he wants to say whenever he wants to say it. We have got to be willing to stand up and speak out against these things when we see them. And unfortunately, I didn't see that from the Republican National Convention. I think it was more like the Trump National Convention. Uh, Chaz is speaking about the, the Hatch Act and uh, don't want to dwell on this too much. But but Wayne, he brings up a fair point in that when Kathleen, Kathleen Sebelius spoke here to a fundraiser in Charlotte a few years ago, I think it was 2012, y'all asked for her resignation uh, because she happened to bring up uh, a few campaign issues and she was here in her title as secretary of HHS. Um, you guys wanted her fired. Um, we now have, not just during the convention, but several times over the last few months, when we talk about every time Kellyanne Conway speaks to the White House in, in her official capacity and talks about the campaign. I mean, 
Does the Hatch Act matter or not? Do we want to separate our, our top-level government <laughs> officials uh, from campaigning while in their official com uh, capacity? Because if it's going to matter for some folks, it's got to matter for all. Well, I mean, I, you know, how do you define official capacity? I mean, people certainly have the have the First Amendment to be able to speak on, on uh, political issues, and they have the right to do that. Republican National Convention paid for the event last night. It was no cost to the taxpayers. Obviously, that is very different than when uh, when Secretary Tabillis was in Charlotte. That was paid for by the taxpayers, the travel and everything was. So it's a very different thing. And Chaz is right. There was a, a, a very deep contrast between the Democrats and Republicans. You have Joe Biden hiding in his basement, held up in his basement, and been held up there since March, basically, only goes a few miles from his house. And then you have Donald Trump that's traveling all over the country, laying out the vision for the second term, and also telling the American people what happened. It's the lowest African-American unemployment, the lowest Asian-American unemployment, the lowest women unemployment prior to the pandemic as well. And we have certainly had a great economy. And for anybody to sit there and chastise that is a real problem because the truth of the matter is the results speak for themselves. And you, and you know what, Wayne, you, you heard that a lot during your convention. You, you heard about the increased military spending. You talked about the, the, the economy. Um, one thing that was sort of glaring, 180,000 people right now dead because of the pandemic and not a lot said about it. Well, I mean, he spoke about it last uh, last night, uh, Ben. And number one, the, the president, um, you know, the, the virus obviously happened very quickly. It came on quickly. The president um, shut down the country uh, for, for, you know, several days about that. He's obviously uh, encouraged people to wear masks. He's, he's obviously the vaccine will be done. He said even last evening that it would be done before the end of the year. So there is progress being made on the coronavirus. And I, I don't not really sure what else could have been done, to be honest with you. I mean, we can't just shut our country down for weeks and weeks and weeks like Governor Cooper has. I mean, we're feeling the effects in North Carolina. Uh, you've got businesses closing down. You've got, you know, there, there's so many things that are happening in North Carolina that is that are bad for the people of that state. But you brought up a, a good point. So we have a soundbite from the president talking about that uh, when he was in town on Monday. Take a listen. I just want to thank the people of North Carolina because, to be honest with you, I felt an obligation to be here. Uh, you have a, a governor who's in a total shutdown mood. I guarantee on November 4th, it'll all open up. It'll be fine, like That's most right. other states. Chaz, do you think there was a missed opportunity there um, between the communications between the governor's staff and the president's staff that they could have had something, say, outdoors, like what we saw back on Thursday night at the White House? Uh, had something like that here? I think that the Trump administration is defined by missed opportunities. The fact that that first day, when you showed that speech, they were talking about if Donald Trump weren't president, then millions of people would have died from the pandemic when there's no evidence that that is in fact true. The fact that 180,000 people have died from this, uh, and that is many, many more people than should have died and many more than any other place in the world when you compare population to population, it's sad that people keep trying to defend the indefensible. This is not something that we should try to play politics with. And also we have to remember that if we make the hard decisions fast and early, then we can prevent this drawn out prolongation of the pandemic, but we didn't do that. And that's the reason why we need to have strong leaders that are actually willing to step up to the plate and make those hard decisions at the time that they need to be made. And President Trump did not do that. He needs to own that. Wayne? Well, Ben, let me jump in here. Uh, Governor Cooper went out and marched with the protesters without a mask. 
in Raleigh. There's multiple pictures of that. And Chaz is sitting there defending the actions of our governor. And it's despicable what Governor Cooper's done. He's shut the schools down. He shut businesses down. He's actually closed businesses down. And we're one of the last states to open the bars and the, the uh, fitness facilities and things. And for, for anybody to defend closing businesses down like that, there must be anti uh, the great economy that we have. They must not want people back to work. That's exactly what the Democratic Party wants. They want the people to live on the government. And we as Republicans want people to live on the outside of the government and make their money for themselves. And Governor Cooper has failed the people of North Carolina. I think we might you be. Wanna, you I, want I think we might be like the last state, or maybe the last two st two states that uh, uh, don't have gyms open at, at this point. Chaz, you were saying. Uh, you, you talk about people living off the government when the president literally was using government property for your convention last night. You talk about people wearing masks. I didn't see a lot of masks in that crowd last night. There were masks in the crowd, Chaz. I said I didn't see a lot of masks in the crowd last night. And I think that, unfortunately, there's this little thing called evidence. And if you look at the visual evidence that was there, there were a few people wearing masks, not the majority. And Actually, yeah, Senator Tillis, I noticed not, he had a mask on the entire time. That I, he was, I, he was I right. said the majority. The majority of people were not wearing masks. And that's what I'm talking about. We're talking in circles here. I made a very clear point, And the clear point is this. The president is not leading by example. The president is talking about how we need to have people that are that somehow the Democrats are going to run the country into the into the ditch. They're doing the a fact the matter job. is it does it does the president let, let, is, the president let me, let me, is running the here. country. Let, let me jump in here. It does strike me as we have asked people to sacrifice a lot in the last five months and avoid big gatherings and wear masks. And then you see what the president did on, on Thursday night and you have people shoulder to shoulder sweating. They cut away to Rudy Giuliani. The poor guy was dripping with sweat at the time. Um, and you're like, wait, what, what has all this been for? For a, a, a political speech? Like, come on. Like, the three of us could not gather like that with a thousand of our close friends if, if we wanted to. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I've had to bury my grandmother in the middle of this pandemic. We had to have 15 people at that funeral. And the president had 2,000 people, almost 2,000 people there at the White House. And you're defending it, Wayne. That's unacceptable. I at am, some I'm point, we have got to have a consistent let, let, standard. Let Wayne respond. I am defending. I mean, people choose to, they chose to go. They re, they received an invite and they chose to go. Personal responsibility, which Chaz and his party does not believe in, we happen to believe in. People need to make personal responsibility and personal decisions, what's best for their family and their health. And that's the reason there's nothing wrong with what happened last night. Governor Cooper and Chaz Beasley's party, they can sit back all day long, all day long, and try to defend people not going to school and not opening their businesses and their gyms and, and fitness facilities and things that is wrong that is shutting down the economy they don't believe in the economy should be open they want people to be on the backs of the government with the shame you have the you have it right there you have the words black and white nothing wrong happened last night is what wayne just told the public and the people of north carolina and the people of the united states that is a sad statement. and i stand by that jazz all right well i'm glad we agree on that Chaz, wayne gentlemen thank you both as always we appreciate it uh, hearing from a political professor about what he thought about the uh, conventions coming up on the other side of this break. We are really desperate. Local business owner Craig Ray applied for a government loan to keep his business going. But when his request got stalled, Craig contacted the defenders and asked, where's the money? I know that after you contacted them, things move pretty fast. Just glad we could help you. 
If you're asking where's the money and feeling financial pressure, the WCNC Charlotte Defenders are here to help. Email us at thedefenders at wcnc.com. We're there to get you answers to where's the money, only on WCNC Charlotte. And welcome back to Flashpoint, folks. Joining me now to break down the RNC, political science professor, Dr. Michael Bitzer from Catawba College. Professor, thanks for coming on again. Two weeks in a row now, making this a thing, I guess. Um, <laughs> all right, we, we talked about the DNC. Um, compare and contrast what you saw um, in the RNC this week. You know, the RNC was very much the prototypical uh, type of political convention. They had the dais, they had people walk up to give their addresses, uh, even though a lot of it was remote and some videos. Uh, I thought the DNC was much more able to bring in people from outside to, to have the pre-made videos brought in, whereas the RNC was very much the staged kind of an approach that normally we would see with a convention. It was the Donald Trump week, and it was all about uh, potentially trying to rehabilitate Donald Trump over three days in terms of all the great things that he has done in comparison to what the American people know about for the past three and a half years. So, you know, as a whole, it was effective for the base strategy that they are playing towards. How it's going to play in the general campaign, probably by November, nobody's going to be talking about it. Probably not. Any any bounce will, will be gone. All right, yeah. uh, I want to get wonky for a second, which is what we can do here on Flashpoint. Um, the party platform. Uh, explain to folks the historical perspective here, because they decided not to adopt a new one. They basically right. just said they were going to take the one from 2016 and then uh, sort of whatever the president wanted, which uh, I, I am not familiar with that happening in the past. I mean, to the point of where the 2016 one refers to the current administration, which was the Obama administration. Is there, is there like precedent for this? No, there is absolutely no precedent for this. Party platforms are documents that lay out the vision and the policies that a political party is about. And it is a hard fought internal document that basically says, this is what the Republican party stands for. This is what the Democratic party stands for. And oftentimes they are internal battles between the different wings within the party, but it sets a standard for which, here's how we will govern over the next four years. Basically what the Republican party said is, we will do whatever Donald Trump tells us to do. And we are the party of Donald Trump, and Donald Trump is the Republican Party. It is unheard of. It is a historic breaking of what we have seen in American political history. And, and then it begs the question, of course, what happens when Donald Trump's not around? If he wins another four years, something like that, then uh, where does this leave this party? I often think of my grandfather, who was a delegate at the RNC, and, and, you know, traditional Republicans and think about things like small government, pro-business, mm -hmm. deficit hawks. Um, I think where would he go right now if there was an RNC and, and would he fit in that? Or if you think about somebody like John McCain, would he even fit in, in this party anymore? This is not your daddy's Republican Party nor your grandfather's. Uh, Republican Party. It is the Trump Party. And, you know, what's interesting is Ronald Reagan put together this Republican Party, the social conservatives, fiscal conservatives, national defense conservatives. They all came together in one party as the dominant uh, wings within the party. 
What we have right now is a party that is wholly beholden to Donald Trump and does whatever Donald Trump says, even though it contradicts, you know, decades of Republican orthodoxy. It is it is really amazing to me to see the morph uh, the morphosis of this kind of political party beholden to one individual. It's really interesting when you think about the, the current or the, the Republican Party that we're used to over the last several decades. Sure. What was your right created by, by Ronald Reagan and coalitions that he brought together that traditionally might not have been uh, together? Since we have right. your right, real quick, let's talk absentee ballots because I know uh, it is sort of mind-boggling the numbers we're seeing uh, when compared to any other recent years. So this weekend, we will hit half a million requests for absentee by mail ballots. If you look back four years ago to the same weekend, you have to multiply that number by 15 in order to get to where we are currently. This is blowing everything out of the water. Registered Democrats are over half of the request. Republicans are about 16%. Four years ago, they were basically tied in terms of their percentages. Dr. Bitzer, thank you. As always, we appreciate it. Coming up, a behind-the-scenes exclusive look at President Trump's uh, visit here to the Queen City this past week. Tornadoes, the tropical storm, severe weather is extreme weather, and we're here to keep you safe and to help you navigate your day. The First Warn team is there for you, no matter the conditions and the location. We're in your hand with the WCNC Weather app, and we'll always be there on WCNC Charlotte. So wake up, plan your day and your life. The First Warren Storm Team will be there for you. Joining us now, WCNC Charlotte reporter Hunter Sines making his inaugural appearance here on Flashpoint. Uh, Hunter covered the RNC uh, this past Monday, the months leading up to it as well. Um, <laughs> years of prep work went into this for what was basically under uh, a few hours of, of a convention here in Charlotte. But it does strike me that unlike, say, Milwaukee or Jacksonville, at least Charlotte had some sort of convention here. Uh, you were there on the ground talking to folks. What did you hear? Yeah, there was a lot of excitement then. Of course, we had nearly 400 people. We had delegates, their guests coming to the Queen City. I talked to them at the airport. They were excited to at least have some sort of in-person event, but it was only four hours. Like you said, two years of prep work, of money spent here in the Queen City, businesses really getting excited, and they really needed some sort of money coming in from all of this shutdown that we've been living through in this COVID world, but they didn't get quite as much. Still, I think some of the, the ways that the RNC tried to help local businesses at the airport, the little treats that they gave delegates were from local bakeries. So they, I will say they tried their best to try to have that economic impact even on a much smaller scale. Uh, they also got some some time with the president. I mean, we weren't sure whether or not he was going to come until the last minute. Uh, he came, not only came, but gave a speech for, for about an hour there at the convention center and said um, that he, he felt uh, obligated to come here uh, to North Carolina to make, make at least some sort of appearance out of respect for the state of North Carolina. It was worth pointing out that he also tried to move it out of North Carolina at, at one point. Um, I assume the folks were excited to see him. 
They were excited. However, they were confused as well. You have to remember it was in Charlotte, then Jacksonville, and then it was pulled back to Charlotte. So they too were kind of up in the air in limbo for several weeks. They didn't know what to expect, uh, if there was going to be any in-person uh, type of event. And then there was. They were told to come to Charlotte, still go on as planned. And yeah, there was speculation that there would be a surprise visit by him. Nobody could confirm it going in to it not even the white house put it on their official agenda he was only supposed to be here according to that agenda for about five minutes and then he arrived and as we know we saw his motorcade go on in to uptown uh and the thing is you actually got what is really cool exclusive access nobody here in charlotte got um that was able to sort of take our viewers inside the the, the whole you know our trip here in charlotte you were actually riding in the motorcade itself that's right. It was an incredible experience. We're always used to seeing it from the outside in. We saw all those perimeters, those blockades put up around the convention center, but we always saw it from the outside. This time we got to see it from the inside, and it was pretty a spectacular sight. I mean, you had protesters on one hand, you saw some supporters with their flags, their banners on the other, and just the sense of security. This is still the RNC, even though it was scaled down dramatically. The amount of security that went into it, the shutting down of roads, as of course we see in a presidential visit, it was just, it was something to see from the inside. As I've said before, having ridden them in them before, uh, there was never be a quicker commute in your life than riding in a presidential motorcade because in those situations, there's no traffic lights, there's no traffic signs. You get to where you're going faster than ever before. Listen, a cool experience for you, a cool experience for our viewers to get, sort of get that inside look. Hunter Signs joining us here for Flashpoint for the first time. I'm sure the first of many. Hunter, thank you, sir. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. More Flashpoint after this. We're really desperate. Local business owner Craig Ray applied for a government loan to keep his business going. But when his request got stalled, Craig contacted the defenders and asked, where's the money? I know that after you contacted them, things move pretty fast. Just glad we could help you. If you're asking where's the money and feeling financial pressure, the WCNC Charlotte Defenders are here to help. Email us at thedefenders at WCNC.com. We're there to get you answers to where's the money, only on WCNC Charlotte. Thanks for joining us this week. By the way, we want to remind you, Flashpoint, we're fancy now. We've got a podcast. How about that? You can get it in your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, more. You can also go to WCNC.com slash podcast to find it there. Also, come interact with me on both Twitter and Facebook pages. If there's something you want to give off, get off your chest, let us know. Something you want us to cover, we can do that, too, all right here in Flashpoint. We'll see you back here Sunday at 11 a.m., and I'll see you bright and early tomorrow morning, 4.30 a.m. for Wake Up Charlotte.